I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. So times are crazy, as we all know. Today is the 31st of March and officially recorded uh, 583,728 active cases on COVID-19. Um, it's a time that asks the best of us even during very hard times. And I think the whole reason we wanted to do this call is to kind of open up for the discussion of how everybody can try and contribute to fight this crisis. Uh, I'm sitting here having a great opportunity to talk with you, Rico Ngoma, CEO of SourceFind Asia, a great sourcing company that I've been uh, introduced to uh, through my business in the Philippines. You're an individual who perhaps in my network is the best person to ask when it comes to finding difficult items in China. Sort of like Indiana yeah. Jones for sourcing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If it, you can't find it, it doesn't exist, right? That's, yep, uh, yep. that's a statement. I'm also here on the call with um, Sasha Bastian, who is uh, my business partner. We've set up a small task force here we call North Sea Sourcing uh, in an effort to try and see if we can accommodate some of this global demand for PPE. But the reason I just wanted to talk to you, Rico, and discuss with you is because as, as we engage this crisis and as we try to to, uh, to help. We don't want to try and, and offer the wrong kind of help or the unethical kind of help. And uh, we've been discussing, me and you, about some of these dilemmas that occur when you try to help out in a crisis. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the first thing is that I didn't actually actively pursue this business, if you want to call it that, in terms of the sourcing for... Actually, it's become, it's become its own industry, to be honest. It's now a multi-billion dollar industry, the COVID-19 medical supply chain. But I didn't actively pursue it. We got our first inquiry on... It was about two weeks ago on a Friday from a potential European buyer in Switzerland. And, you know, I was running along. We have our own active projects in Source Asia, And, you know, we looked into KN95 and N95 masks that time. And then... On Saturday, I was here in the Philippines with my roommate playing uh, cards, you know, Tong, Tong Itza. I'm not sure if you played that game before, but it's sort of like <laughs> Filipino poker in, in, in that sense. But uh, yeah, we were, we were just like normal Saturday night and I get a phone call from my business partner. He's like, it's urgent. I need to hop on a call right now. And I was like, oh, it's unusual. He never really calls me on the weekends like that. So I picked up the phone and he said, hey, you know, we just, um, I connected with a broker for medical supplies in, in the US and, and he, they're talking to government entities and they're talking to hospitals and we're talking about millions of units now. Okay. He's like, yeah, we need to put something together in the next couple of days. So we started... And this is not a, even your your area of expertise, right? No, uh, it's not. It's not. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people. I, I'll probably say now at this stage, probably seventy percent of the people that are are importing these products are not experts in, in medical supplies. Mm. What is it that you normally source for? We do a wide range. So we, I guess, we consider ourselves to be a consulting company when it comes to manufacturing in China. So the speciality that we have is around identifying high quality suppliers. So we've sourced anything between electronics to PVC toys to makeup, clothing, you know, plastic bottles like you know, LED candles 
So yeah, we, we source a wide range of product, but we've developed a very good process of vetting suppliers. Like we've developed, yeah, okay. And that can be applied to any product, right? It doesn't have to be just one type. On top of that, my business partner, Mike, first went to China and started sourcing around 2008. And I went to China in 2014. So between okay. the two of us, we have a little bit over 17 years of combined experience and in, in network uh, in China. So we can pretty much get high quality goods in whatever industry. If and we and don't know somebody directly, we're like one person removed from... from I, see. I see. Yeah, yeah that, that, that was my question. Like, how, how, how do you establish such a wide net? But I, I, I would imagine that your network almost constitutes your net, net worth in, in China. You got to know a guy who knows a guy. Yeah, I mean, if you... I'm not sure how many people are familiar with the term Guangxi. Uh, it essentially means your network. Uh, who do you know? Yeah, it is almost like money in the bank. If you have a solid Guangxi, you're a re really respected person in, in China and you can get things done. It's extremely yeah. important. And, and the only way to do that is really just to be in China, be on the ground, keep your promises. That's a big thing is a lot of times foreigners will come to China and they, they make these huge promises to factories that we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then it doesn't materialize. And like with Chinese people, like if you break the trust, ironically, I think everybody's Everybody lacks trust with China, but it's the same thing in China. If you break the trust, there is no going back. That relationship is ruined. That's very important. So it's a, it's a careful engagement. So, so as you go into this, uh, this new field of yours, what is, you said Switzerland, but what are, what are the countries that you experienced with a shortage of uh, PPE and masks and so on and so forth? Uh, I mean, we have, we've, sp we've spoken to so many countries at this stage, but I would say the U.S. is, is huge and Canada. The demand in the U.S. is what really has applied so much pressure on us. We've spoken to France, Italy, uh, I guess you guys have been Denmark and the U.K. But yeah, the U.S. has been, I mean, literally we were on a call with a government official from the New York state government. And, you know, they were saying they need to basically have 100 million units of various items. Um, yeah. That's sort of, I mean, it's not all, it's not all going to go to New York, but they're going to sort of spread it out to different, you know, hospitals and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, when somebody says they need that and they need the information ASAP so they can talk to their superiors and, and all that, like that's what made us spend 20 hours a day working in tandem with the U.S. So my business partner, Mike, is currently in Chicago. So he will wake up at 6, 7 a.m. his side, that would be evening for me. We hop on a call. We discuss what's happened during that day. I will stay up till, you know, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning so that I'm working with him throughout the day. My Zoom has been on 20, almost 24 hours a day. So he just jumps in and out. And then vice versa, when I wake up at 7, he's still awake and we go back and forth. So that's, that's kind of how it's been for the last uh, 7, 8 days. It's a marathon, it sounds like. You know, haven't shaved and... <laughs> Yeah, we also just talk indoor, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, locked in as well. Yeah. So it sounds to me that there is a increasing demand, and especially if trying to project this crisis out into the future, this is we haven't seen the curve flatten yet. And obviously, for some people, this is great business. Uh, and I can't remember where I heard this. Maybe it was House of Cards or something. But there is this terrible statement that uh, you never let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, what we've been experiencing in Denmark is some very critical questions uh, to the thoughts of profiting of a crisis. So what is your considerations about the ethical dilemmas that arise when trading protection supplies that are in shortage all over the world and margins and so on and so forth? How much time do you have? I've been, uh, thinking of, I've been contemplating this for the past seven, eight days. 
I'll start with the first thing that I noticed when people started reaching out to me. Like, um, again, I'm part of these entrepreneurship networks in, uh, in China, and I'm part of a bunch of WeChat groups with other manufacturing people. And we were sh- sharing stories about these were actual people that we knew or somebody that knew somebody directly where they transferred a million dollars to a factory and the goods didn't come. They bought goods and were transporting the goods from their factory to, to the airport and the goods were seized by police, which they then found out were not police. It was probably the trading company that they bought the goods from that basically stole the goods and then resold them. So I know from my own personal experience that all of these things are avoidable if you go through the right vetting process of, of suppliers, but there's panic buying happening right now and you're getting, like we just mentioned, 70%, probably more of uh, people jumping into this business and buying stuff from China who just don't know how it works. They don't know how the process is. They don't know the right documentation to have. They don't know what the the mistakes that can happen, like how to kind of like, how to identify potential red flags and things like this is stuff that you can only learn from doing it, right? So I see, I saw that and I was like, well, well, first of all, I mean, I have a a podcast in the YouTube channel. First of all, I want to educate people. So I made videos already before we even started really getting any crazy inquiries. I made videos just educating, hey, this is what you should be looking out for. If the factory says this, then you should do it. Like, so the second thing for me personally is that I was born in, in Zambia, Southern Africa. So while I grew up, you know, pretty, my parents are pretty well off and I moved to the States and Canada, I definitely know people that are less well off than I am. And I, I definitely have seen poverty. So my thought process was like, if I'm going to help with this, this getting the goods to the US and, and Europe, I'm also going to start contributing towards my, my original birthplace. Like I was actually thinking about sending three masks and things like that there. So maybe rolling in some of the money that we're making to, to help other people. So there, there's another side of it. It's like, uh, I, I think that Obviously, you can pro- you profit from the situation, but you can also give back. And I, I want to give back directly, not you know through sort of organizations or, or government. And then the uh, the third thing is, I mean, we always try to get exactly what people need. So that's another thing. Is like I feel like for us, if you're buying from us, we are going to do the best we can possibly do to get the exact product that you're looking for. And if we can't get it, then we're saying no. So for example, the N95s, we kept saying no for four or five days. And then finally we found a supplier of one supplier of N95s, like one of the few hidden gems. It took us six days to find it. That's where I look at it from an ethical standpoint. Yeah. Incredible. So it's, it's, it's funny, the last point here, you, you imagine that you can go and search for these in some kind of centralized uh, portfolio, but obviously these factories, so some of them are quite hidden. And yeah, re- yeah, and especially because I mean these these products are not it's not they're not shoes they're not iPhones like it's not a product that people use in a on a like a consumer basis right it's not so there's not that many factories that are qualified to make those products and there's not that many factories that make them because there was never really that need they were medical professionals right yeah a lot of those factories are pretty hidden yeah so if you were to sum up you had three points here and, and I guess the question is when sourcing agents are approached with the question of whether or not this business is now ethical, what would your three takeaways be for them? One approached by our clients and potential clients, buyers. And I noticed a lot of the fakery uh, with factories providing fake certificates and people jumping into this and not knowing how to deal with China. So, you know, I almost feel a sense of responsibility in that sense to educate people through my YouTube channel. That was the first thing that I did. 
And then, of course, we started to get bigger inquiries. So that's one. The second thing is, like I said, I was born in, in Zambia, in, in Southern Africa. So, you know, I've seen, I've seen poverty I, 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 and I'm very much connected to the idea that there's countries out there that are going to suffer greater than some of the European countries and, and the states. And if you're going to profit from something like this, you definitely have to give back. And that's what I want to do with the capital and, and money that we make. So the third part is uh, one of our, our company ethos is transparency. And we always try to give clients exactly what they want. So I know that if somebody is buying medical supplies from us, we might not be a verified medical vendor that they're used to working with, but we're going to make sure we're going to, from the best of our ability, we're going to make sure that they get exactly what they want. And if we can't get what they want, we're going to tell them no. So that's sort of my three main takeaways from that. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, can you talk a bit more in, in terms of this transparency that you offer in the supply chain? Because that's also an insurance for the buyer or the client, right? Uh, and especially during these times, what is the process that you do in mitigating the shortage or the risk of purchases? Of the purchases? So how do we basically, how do we verify the suppliers? Yeah, mitigate risk. It's going to be a very long explanation, but I mean, there are internal have, the first thing we would do is reach out to a network in China. Uh, so I reach out to other factories that we've worked with before, other sourcing agents that we've worked with before. As long as we have the clear requirements from our clients, we should be able to find exactly you know, the certificates, the, the right product and things like that. From there, you can actually verify, and I'm sure anybody that's watching this that's a medical professional, you can actually verify these documents. Like online, you can go to the FDA website and, and search for it. The factory's name. Same thing with NEOSH. You can go to the NEOSH site. CE, you can contact TUV or SGS to, to, to confirm those details. And then, you know, usually we want to order samples and we want to pay a deposit and visit the factory. It's a very unique situation. A lot of factories are asking for 100% payment up front. A lot of factories will say, you can't come to a factory until you pay us a deposit. So that's, that's the one risky part about this current situation but um we're, we you know we'll still try to try our absolute best in terms of the pre-vetting process and making sure that the documentation that they provide is, is legitimate i see i see that's good that's good so it sounds to me that that from from start to beginning you, you got a pretty good hold on how this this new crisis at least the supplement uh, supplier uh, of PPE equipment, how, how it could be done. Yeah. Out of curiosity, in terms of vetting that the factories are operating under proper ethical conditions, it, you know, are you also ensuring that child labor and work conditions are in order? Is that something that you take into consideration? Oh, always, always. We've never worked with a factory that had child labor or any of that. And typically, the factories that have these certifications shouldn't be able to qualify for those certifications if, if that was the situation. But that's part of our vetting process in the sense of when we visit a factory. So we always we always visit factories before we place a mass production order. I the see. difference is in this particular situation, we'll have to do it in reverse a lot of times. We'll have to go to the factory after we pay a deposit. Yeah. So we'll do, we'll do as much as possible in the before that to vet those factories. But yeah, we definitely take that into consideration. Like I said, we're also connecting with factories that are connected to our partners uh, in China. So these are Chinese business people that we worked with for you know, six, seven, eight plus years. Um, they know how we operate. They know uh, our morals around business and manufacturing. They also understand the requirements of, of the rest of the world. So yeah, fantastic. So perhaps if, if anyone is listening and 
now wants to get out uh, and, and try and help their local community with setting up sourcing channels and so on and so forth, what would be a piece of advice you could offer them in order to work with you? I think know exactly what you want before you approach us. Uh, we, we, again, this being an unusual situation, we usually have a very long sort of customer evaluation process before we start with somebody. So there'll be, they'll fill out something on our website that will hop in a discovery call and then we'll have them fill out another document that you know basically is extracting the information that we need. And if we do it like that on purpose, and it sounds tedious, but it's like, if we don't do that, we usually find ourselves looking for a product that's very vague. And you have to remember that China, you can make everything, literally everything. So you have to be very specific about what you want before you contact us. If you are specific, and when I say that, it's specifications, product name, the materials, the actual certifications that you need. And then the second thing is in this particular situation, you have to move really quickly because there is no stock. If there's stock, it gets sold out immediately. Two, the factories, their production lead times are being pushed further and further every week. So uh, well, not even every week, every day. We had two, three factories over the weekend, plus a notebook till the end of April. For the medical gowns, specifically the AAMI level two isolation gowns, all of the factories we've spoken to in the last couple of days, which is about 20 to 30 factories, have said they're booked till the end of June. They're not taking new orders. If you don't move quickly, you're going to miss the boat. Yeah. Number one, know what you want exactly. And then number two, move quickly afterwards. Perfect. So yep. I want to work with you, Fantastic. know what you want and move fast. That's a good yep. point. Fantastic. Well, Rico, thanks. I know you are, you're overworked and, uh, and the rest and sleep is a luxury these days. So thanks so much for your time. We'll make sure to uh, try and spread the word. The community know that if they have a shortage, if they know what they want and if they're ready to move, then there are validated, transparent and ethically uh, correct ways of sourcing products from uh, from China with you. Sure. I mean, um, yeah, I'm always happy to help and just provide more information, especially in this particular situation. I think that this information is extremely important to get us to, to the public. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Cheers. Come by me, man, and I'll come out of